If you have a, before I jump into this sermon, if you have a, a child, um, you might want to look at your family news bulletin this morning. There's an insert there, kind of describing what's happening now, what's coming up. Um, a lot of exciting things going on here, and especially over the next uh, month or two. We've, uh, we've hired three new part-time people for our children's ministry, and, uh, and we're hiring a pastor of student ministries. David Mead will be here uh, hopefully the 26th or 27th of this month. We're also hiring part-time people under the pastor of student ministries, and the pastor of student ministries will oversee everyone from fourth grade and up the edge, which would be fourth and fifth, and then all the way up. So we've got a lot of new staff people coming in. Um, The existing staff we have now is fantastic, and I'm really, really never been more excited to start out in September than I have, than I am right now with the church. So I want you to make sure if you're a parent, you read this, and you know exactly where your child's supposed to go. We had a little confusion, and I wanted to make sure that everyone is kind of up to speed on what's happening. If you have any questions ever about what's happening in any of the areas of ministry, just give the, the head of that ministry a call, or you can call one of the pastors. You can call me. We'll make sure we get your, your questions answered. But a lot of exciting, exciting things that are happening uh, in the children's ministry and in the youth ministry and in the entire church. So it's going to be a great, it is, it's been a great summer so far, and it's going to be a great September uh, as we kind of kick off. September is like the kickoff of a church year, if you will. It's not January, it's really September. So I'm really, really excited about that. All right, in Romans chapter 13, verse 14, it says, Clothe yourselves with Jesus Christ. We're, we're starting a new series this morning called Don't Check Jesus at the Door. And so the first question you really should ask is, what the heck does that mean? What does that mean? Well, you know, what I, I, I really believe that we've gotten to the place in our Christian walk where we've separated out our, our spiritual lives from our physical lives. We, we've, we've compartmentalized. And a lot of the reason we've compartmentalized is because the world, that's what the world encourages us to do. That's what the world wants us to do. They want us to compartmentalize. Sunday morning is the only time you talk about God or whatever else. Jesus is fine to talk about in church. And Jesus is fine to talk about in a Bible study, but not at work, not at school, not on the field, not at wherever. You keep your religion to yourself. Religion's a, you ever hear this? Religion, it's a personal thing. It's a personal thing. So just keep it to yourself. That's what you're encouraged to do. And that's why we, we struggle so much with leaving Jesus at the door. See, what I think is that we are still stuck. And I think our church, more than others, is kind of coming out of this mindset because we're beginning to understand. But we're still stuck in the mindset of, that, of, the, of the secular sacred. Plato's philosophy of secular and sacred. You know, the sacred mindset. The sacred mindset is, 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 is limited to the church. We think about spiritual things. We baptize in the church. And we talk about Jesus in the church. And we talk about spiritual things in the church. It's, it's, it's in the church, in the, quote, spiritual realm. And then, of course, you have the, you have the secular, secular. And that's, that's everything, right? That's everything else. Everything else in the material world, anything out there in the material world, not the spiritual world, the material world, everything else is, 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 uh, is for material things. See, that's a really great philosophy for the enemy. You think about it. It's a fantastic plan of the enemy. God gets a few hours during the week. Who cares? 
You know, you give him his measly couple of hours and then the world, the enemy gets the rest. Satan gets all the rest of our time. Whatever else we're doing, it's secular. It's not sacred. And so most of our time is spent out there in the world. A biblical worldview says that God, you got to hear me on that, God created everything, right? Satan created nothing. And all the enemy can do is corrupt what God has created. So if, it is, if it's not sinful, it's what? Say it again. If it's not sinful, right, because from a biblical worldview, it's either sinful or it's sacred. And I think still, as we walk out of this place, the world keeps on pushing and pushing. And we, where our minds go back to that secular, sacred kind of mindset. So the Bible tells us to, to put on or clothe ourselves with Jesus Christ. To put it on, to put, put Christ on. What on earth does that mean? What does it mean to put on Christ? Well, it means to display on the outside what has already taken place on the inside, similar to baptism. It's displaying on the, it's living out on the outside what has already taken place on the inside. You've asked Christ to come into your life. The Holy Spirit fills you. That is a reality. It's going on internally. And what, what the Bible is saying is you put on Christ and you display on the outside, you display, you, you practice the characteristics and the qualities of Jesus in every area of your life. You're constantly practicing, becoming more like him. How did Jesus do this? How would Jesus handle that? What would Jesus do here? That's what we're supposed to be doing, but most of the time we're not doing it. We take him off and on depending on the circumstances. The Bible says put on, and then it doesn't say take off, ever. It says put on, display on the outside what's happening on the inside. Remember when you were a little kid, you know, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. No, you'll hide it under anything. Put it on and don't take it off for any reason. But we seem to take it on and off depending on the circumstances. Why? Because, again, you have been brainwashed into a secular, sacred mindset. I'm here now. I'm in the sacred. I leave here. I go into the secular and I take them on and off and on. And that's what they want. That's what the, that's what the enemy wants to get you confused, to get you thinking their way, to intimidate you to kind of keep quiet and, and not express Christ in every area of your life. Let me give you a couple examples where this takes place. We take him on and off. We check him at the door when we face social pressures, cultural pressures. NBC is going to come out with a new comedy called The New Normal. NBC is going to tell us what the new normal is for family life. And if it's really funny, many followers of Jesus will take him off and they'll watch it. That'll be one of their favorite shows. It's so funny. It's so funny. I don't, oh, I don't maybe agree with that. It's just so funny. And, they, and they'll take off Christ and they'll watch that. That'll be a part of the, if it's really funny. If it's not really funny, we don't care. But if it's really funny. See, 2 Thessalonians, Thessalonians 2.15 reminds us, So then, brothers, stand firm. You've got to listen to these words. Oh, it, it, you hear it over and over and over. Stand firm. And hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. Stand firm. 
What does the word of God say? What does Jesus say? It doesn't matter what NBC says. It doesn't matter what Hollywood says. It doesn't matter what all these, these celebrities say about how we should think and what we should believe and how, what we should do and how we should respond, all these kinds of things. The only person that matters, the only person that matters for a follower of Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ. God. The only person we should be following, their opinion, is God's. It's God's opinion. Why? Because we're followers of Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold on to the teachings I passed on to you, whether by word of mouth, word of mouth, or by letter. Another way that we do this, we, 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 uh, we take him off or we, we check him at the door, is when we go to, say, a party of some kind. Maybe you're in high school or in your college, you go to a party or um, you go to a club or, you know, it's like, you know, you're, you're, I know this for a fact. You have people who are even in ministry or, you know, in different areas of ministry and leadership in churches. And, you know, they, they're all, they're talking about Jesus in one group. And then all of a sudden they go someplace else and they just, and somehow they just take Jesus off and behave exactly like everyone else in the room. I'm not saying you can't go to parties. I'm not saying you can't have, you can't go and, and enjoy yourself but you don't take Christ off. I've had more fun. I have done more dynamic things. I've had more of an exciting life than you could possibly imagine. People say, well, if, you take, if, I, if I have to take Christ with me, I'm not going to have any fun. You don't, you don't understand what it means to live in him. God, you know, we can have a dynamic, exciting life with Christ in every area. But we can't, you can't take them off when you go to college, okay? When, when you're checking in at college, you don't check Jesus. Down. Hold on one second before I enter through the doors. Let me, just, let me just check you. Can you hold on to Jesus for me? Let me check Jesus. Because now I'm going to college. I've heard so many college students say, this is my time to, to kind of express myself. This, this is my time to be myself. This is, this is my time to, to, uh, to do, what I, what the, do my thing, if you will. All kinds of different expressions. So do my thing. Well, let me tell you, college students, I love you with all my heart, all of you going to college. And you can do your thing as long as your thing is sacred. Do your thing. Man, be, have a blast. Have so, but don't take Jesus off and check him at the door. Do your thing as long as your thing is sacred. If it's not sacred, it's what? There's no, there is no secular. With God, there's no 50 shades of gray. Not any shades of gray. And we as followers of Jesus Christ need to follow. It sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? If I ask Christ to come into my life, if, if I have a relationship with God, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, which by definition means I follow Jesus Christ. Wherever Jesus walks, I walk. The Bible says something like, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So we got to follow Christ. Is it hard? See, I don't want to just pound away this morning or during this series and get everyone beat, feeling beat up and everything. Is it hard? Yeah, it's hard sometimes. You know, you think sometimes when you get out of high school or college, you're not going to be under some, any more pressure. You're not going to have that kind of peer pressure. Well, you know what? It never ends. Ask your parents. 
Ask your dad or mom when they go to work or they have to be in some meeting or something like that and people are, are pressuring them to do certain things at work and, you know, to, to have to hold on to their faith. It's really hard. You're surrounded constantly to go along or to do what everyone else is doing or you just make it miserable for everybody else. Oh, yeah, here we go. You can't do that because so-and-so. It's really hard. It doesn't matter what phase of life you're in. Now, in junior high and high school, it's harder. I'm going to tell you that. But it doesn't get much more simple as you become an adult. There's always challenges that we're, we're going to face. So we, we've, got, we've got to hold on to Christ. We've got to hold on to him. We need to stand strong for what we believe. I read a quote by Craig V. Anderson. He wrote this. Where are our wounds? Is there nothing to fight for? How complacent are we about the world's causes, both great and small? Have we accepted with weak resignation that nothing can change and that to try isn't worth the effort? Perhaps the call to comfort rings louder than the call to bear a cross. If the church is the body of Christ, as Paul claims, shouldn't we also have some wounds? Yet too many churches avoid controversy. A pastor at Midlife wrote, Wherever the Apostle Paul went, there was a riot. Wherever I go, they serve tea. I love that. Wherever the Apostle Paul went, there was a riot. There was a riot. Wherever he went, he always stirred it up. He was stirring things up. And I appreciate what this pastor says. Wherever I go, they serve tea. Isn't that nice? Isn't that that civilized? Isn't that calm? You know, Paul, the reason that Paul caused a riot wherever he went is because he said, follow my example as I follow the example of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You follow my example as I follow his example. The reason he caused a riot everywhere he went is because he was following the example of Jesus Christ. Don't water down Jesus. Don't make Jesus out to be some house cat when he's a lion. You say, oh, Jesus, you know, people say all the time in our culture, oh, Jesus never would care about that. Jesus never said this. Jesus never said, I don't want you Christians all worked up. Jesus never. Are you kidding me? Are you joking? Jesus never. Have you not read the word of God? Jesus is God of the Old Testament and New Testament. Everything written in the word of God. Jesus wrote it. Jesus said it. Everything. Don't try, to, don't try to wimpy down my Lord. Don't try to, don't try to put words in his mouth now. The words, the words are right here. Easy to read. Totally easy to understand. Exactly what Jesus feels about so many different issues across the board. But people will say that. They'll try to water it down. They'll try to, they'll try to make him out to be a little, a little house. Let me tell you something. That the birth of Jesus Christ was nothing short of an act of war. The birth of Jesus Christ was was a shot over the bow to the enemy that the kingdom of God is here. And Christians are to be warriors, taking up his cause. Jesus Christ was a warrior. Jesus Christ came to set things the way they should be. Why do you think they crucified him? Because he was a nice guy? Oh, I don't want to offend. Gee, I don't want to tick you off. I don't want to bother you. Every time you turn around, read the New Testament. And they picked up stones to stone him. Why? Because he told the truth all the time. It didn't matter what anybody else thought. It didn't matter what the Romans thought or the Jews thought or anybody else thought or the pagans. It didn't matter. Jesus said what was true. And if it bothered someone, well, so be it. He's God. He makes the rules. 
Some people didn't like it. They wanted to crucify. They ultimately crucified him. But Jesus wasn't walking around making, you know, just, you know, taking names and making friends and everything was, you know, he, he was loving. Yes. Compassionate. Yes. Merciful. Yes. Showed grace. Absolutely. He was all of those things. But he was God. He was all of it. You can't take the attributes you like and attribute them to Jesus and the ones you don't like and kind of push them away and say, well, that's not the Jesus never said this and Jesus never said that. Yes, he did. Luke 21, 13 through 19. This will result in your being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourself. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me. But not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, by standing firm, you will gain life. We live in a culture that is becoming at best intolerant against anyone who stands for absolute truth and at worst fascists. Look up the word. They're, they're completely and utterly intolerant of anyone who goes against what they say is right or wrong. Which I find fascinating, since if you don't believe in God, what's the point of right or wrong? Real quick lesson. When someone says something is right, there's an assumption that something else is wrong. If something is right and wrong, then there, then there, is, a, there is a moral law that determines right and wrong, good or bad, Correct. If you say something's wrong, then you assume something's right. If there's a right and there's a wrong, you assume a moral law that says what's right and wrong. If you assume a moral law, you assume a moral law giver, which is God. So the moment you open your mouth and say something's wrong or right, you're assuming there's a God. And the God is the one who determines what's right and wrong, not you. That's what we need to understand. That's what we need to, we need to, we need to hold on to. Because we live in a culture that is, that is completely against absolute truth. To say something wrong is politically incorrect. And you will be ridiculed. You will be blackballed at work. You will be, you will be, you will be attacked. Especially if you say it's right and wrong and use the name of Jesus Christ to back it up. Especially for that. Jesus said it. You know, people are going to turn against you. If you are walking and doing what Jesus did, you're going to run into conflict. There's no way around it. There's no way to avoid it. So the question I had as I was writing this, why are some, why is there some, there are there some people, even with all that they're going to go through, why are some people still standing for the truth? Why are they holding on to the truth? Why are they the ones who will not let go, will not check Jesus at the, go, at the door, regardless of the circumstances or the consequences? These are people, you know who they are. They are people that, that you quietly respect at work or at school. You see them walking the halls and you think, man, that person, regardless, they stand up for what they believe. At work, they will not back down. They're not obnoxious. They're not people who people, other people like despise because they're so obnoxious. They may not like that person because of their stand, but that person takes a stand. And in you and your quietness, you respect them. 
the reality is those people who stand for the truth are really not much different than everyone else. What's happened is they have not compromised along the way, and now they are where they are. They are taking a stand for Jesus Christ. They've put him on, and they will not take him off. They will not check him at the door, no matter where they go. They have not compromised along the way. And they stand for Jesus Christ. And they hold on to his truth. And we look to them sometimes and think, wow. And I guess that's my next question is, wow. And then you've got to ask, why am I not like that person? Why am I not one of those people? Why, why, why am I not the one holding on to God's truth? Why am I not clothing myself with righteousness and, and not letting go? Why am I not standing up for truth? You see, my goal during this series is to help you become one of those people, to give you the tools and the motivation necessary to take a stand, to stand for Jesus Christ, to stand up for what you believe. I, want to, I don't want to just talk about it. I want to give you the tools and the motivation necessary to become one of those people, to walk with Jesus. My friends, this is getting really difficult, isn't it? I mean, I'm sorry, it's difficult to watch TV or go to the movies or or go out in public or whatever else without being pressured by someone to submit or succumb to their viewpoints. It's, you know, I said, Dev and I talk about this all the time. It's like, wow, what happened? And how did it happen so quickly? It's almost overnight. It's like things have changed so dramatically. And if you don't go along, if you don't get swept up and just bow, and, and bow down, let's be, let's be honest, and bow down to their whims, to their, their moral law, what they decide is right and wrong. If we don't bow down and agree, then, oh my goodness, you're going to pay a price. So how do we become the kind of people who are going to stand for Jesus Christ, who are going to be true followers. Really, I'm going to be simple. How do we become true followers of Jesus Christ? Well, in in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, Jesus says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evils against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So how can we take a stand? Jesus gives us at least four truths that we can hold on to here. Four truths. The first one, first, you've got to know what's right. You have to know what's right. I see so many Christians standing up for things. They, they're, they're standing up for this, or they're, but it's, they're not standing up for the things that are of Christ. They're not standing up for things that are of God. They post on their Facebook, they're, they're standing up against injustice. And these aren't, these aren't non-believers, these are believers. They're standing up against some injustice in, in the world. The problem is their cause is not a biblical cause. They're actually anti-Christ. What they're standing up for is actually anti-biblical. They, they, they say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and then Jesus says something, God says something specific, Old and New Testament, and they are going to now take up a cause which is opposite of what Jesus Christ says. Matthew says those who are blessed stand up for righteousness. And who decides what's righteous? God does, exactly. God decides what's righteous. So Jesus says you're going to be blessed 
if you stand up for what is righteous. I heard a story of two farmers. These two farmers were always in conflict with each other. There was a terrible, it was an incredible rivalry, rivalry between the two of them. And these farmers owned horses, and they wanted to see which horse was the fastest. They were competing against, my horse is faster, my horse is faster. So they have a, we're going to have a race here. We're going to have a race. One of the farmers decided to hire a professional rider to make sure that, you know, he had a better chance of winning. So they line up at the starting gate, and off they go. And these two horses are running. They're running neck and neck and neck and neck all the way around through the woods and through the, the fields and through the streams and as they're coming around the last curve the horses slip and they both fall and both riders go flying off the horse well the professional rider is quick he jumps back on his horse he reacts quickly jumps and he remounts his horse and he runs and he wins the race well, when he gets back to the paddock or the barn or whatever, the, the, the farmer who hired him is enraged. He's enraged. And the, and the, and the jockey or the professional rider says to him, what, 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 are you, what are you worried about? I won the race. And the farmer says to him, he was so angry. He said, yeah, you won the race, but you're on the wrong horse. You're on the wrong horse. Man, you can, you can believe whatever you want to believe. You can stand and fight against all this injustice. But you know what? You might be on the wrong horse. You might be riding the wrong horse. You can stand up for the, a woman's right to have an abortion for your whole life and stand for that because that's what you believe. But in God's eyes, in God's heart, you're on the wrong horse. You're on the wrong horse. You can be sincere and you can be, I say this in love, sincerely wrong. People say, well, they're sincere. Well, you can be sincere. I don't take that away. But you can be sincerely wrong. Psalm 139, 16, because who decides when life begins? God does. says, your eyes saw my unformed body. How's that for a start? All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Before one of them came to be. When does life begin? When God says it begins. That's when life begins. When God says it begins. Not, not my, it's not my opinion. It's not Jeff Greer's thoughts. Well, you know, three months or a week or, you know, right before they're born and blah, 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 blah. Who says it? God says it. I'm a follower of God. I follow Jesus Christ. So whatever God says, that's right. And that goes for everything. Everything. If you're, are you confused? Maybe you're confused about different cultural issues that we deal with each and every day. And I mean this sincerely. If you're confused, here's what I want you to do because you're a follower of Jesus. Go to your Bible and look up passages that deal with that issue. Look it up and see what God says. That, my friend, is your opinion. I hope that doesn't sound too, like, in your face. I'm not trying to be in your face. I'm just trying to be honest. I don't have an opinion about homosexuality. I don't have an opinion about abortion of my own. The only opinion I have comes from here. That's the only opinion I, 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 can, I can give you. That's, these aren't my opinions. This is from the Word of God. And I'm not just talking about all these big socialists. I'm talking about issues at work, issues at school. How do you deal with it when you go to different places and you have to deal with all the, the, the difficult challenge that you're going to face? When you, when you, when whatever you choose to do, when you go to college, when you go back to high school, when you go to, how are you going to choose to make those decisions? We need to follow 
our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What did he say? Let me say this too. I'm going to, because this is one of the things when we talk about abortion. In a, in a room this size, in a church this size, there are definitely people, I'm sure, that have gone through that in their lives. And I want to be really, really clear. You ask forgiveness, you're forgiven. The grace of God, the blood of Christ covers you completely. You are forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, you are not condemned. God loves you. I want to make that perfectly clear. If you struggle in different areas of your life, God loves you. He loves you. You make mistakes, you fall short. You know what? God loves you. Why do you think Jesus came to die? Because everyone sitting in this room is so wonderful and perfect. And all those other people out there came to die for all those other people. No, he came to die for me because I fall short. But you know what? I ask for forgiveness. God still loves me and God loves you. Jesus said, blessed are those who stand up for righteousness. We live in a culture, like I said, where absolute truth is no longer acceptable. It's under attack. Where right and wrong, okay, no longer exist. They say there are no absolutes. I love to say to people who say there are no absolutes, I love to ask them this question. Are you absolutely sure that statement is true? If they say, they go to say yes, oh yeah, oh, well, and then all of a sudden you start thinking about it. And they say, well, no, well, you got them either way. You can't win that argument. If someone says there are no absolutes, they're, they're in a dilemma. They, they fall into a dilemma, into a hole they can't get out of. So just ask them, are you absolutely sure that statement's true? God's word is our standard for truth, my friends. This is it. And that's why I said this is my opinion. This is my opinion. God's word is my absolute and your, if you're a follower of Christ, absolute truth. The Bible defines right and wrong, regardless of what the issue is. The Bible defines what's right and wrong. Not Jeff Greer, not your pastor. I don't come up with these things. I, don't, I like this and don't like that, and I feel this way, and, this, and I'm all these shades of gray and everything else. No, I look at the word of God. God determines, my God determines what's right and wrong, and I repeat what Jesus has said. You want to pick a fight with someone over some of these moral issues that we see in our society today? Pick a fight with Jesus Christ because he's the one who said it. All we're doing is repeating what Jesus said. The second is to stand, if you want to stand strong, you need to be ready to face opposition. Oh my goodness, you need to be ready to face the opposition. Jesus said, if you stand up for truth, you will face insults, you will face persecutions, you will face statements about you that aren't true. And so I ask myself the question, why is it that we, that we as Christians, when we face these kinds of things, why is it that, that we fall back, that we shrink back? And I think I'm going to give you a couple of quick ones. Number one, we're people pleasers. We want everyone to like us. We don't want anyone to dislike us. So we kind of go along because we're people pleasers. We go along with all this stuff. It's more important for you in high school and junior high sometimes that you're popular or your reputation or whatever than it is to have your standing with Jesus. You're more concerned about your popularity and, and, and those kinds of things and reputation than you are about where you stand or how you're standing with Jesus Christ. A lot of one of the biggest reasons we can't handle the pressure. People start calling us names. You bigot, you're, you're intolerant, you're racist, you're this, you're this, you're whatever else. They call us those names. And who wants to be a racist? Not me. I know I'm not a racist. Who wants to be a bigot? Now, I don't want to be a bigot, but all they have to do is start calling you names. You're a bigot, you're a racist, you're a this, you're intolerant, you're that, you're whatever, you're all these other things. 
Don't, don't, don't think about the fact that when someone says, well, I kind of disagree. I, oh, and they attack you and rip you to pieces and become fascists in the, in, from a political standpoint. But don't, oh, don't, let's not talk about that. Let's just talk about the fact that you disagree and therefore you're all those other things. And so we shrink back. If you stand for truth, you're going to face opposition from this world. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20 says this. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, as it is. You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen. This is what he says. I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obey my teaching, they will obey yours also. If you decide to speak to the truth, you, if you decide wherever you are in your walk right now, as a younger, older, whatever, if you decide to speak the truth in this generation, you are going to pay a price, period. You're going to pay a price. Gone are the days where most people had a moral code based upon absolute truth. Gone are the days when that happened. So what do we do? What do we do, my friends? Well, I think there's, there's, there's so many of them and so few of us. I think we should just basically, we should quit. We should just, we should just shrink back and quit because, gosh, what are we going to do? I think we should just stay in our churches and hide. You know, let's just hide from it. And that way we can avoid it. Let's just avoid the conversation altogether. Then we don't have to deal with it. We'll just hunker down our little church. You see, I don't like any of those options. I don't, I don't like any of those options. And instead, I think we should, we should stand up. I think we should stand up and face the opposition. I think we should stand up and stand up for Jesus Christ and face the opposition. I think, honestly, I think we need to up our game a little bit. How's that? Instead of shrinking back, I think we need to move forward, up your game. Have you been watching the Olympics? Have you been noticing some of the athletes are saying, oh, first, I want to thank God for this, or, and they use Jesus, I want to thank Christ, and blah, blah, blah. They're doing that. I think that they're upping their game, honestly. I think they're being pushed and they're saying, I want to have an opportunity to share what I believe. They're upping their game. I love this passage in Jeremiah 12:5. It says this, if you, if you have run with footmen and they have tired you out, then how can you compete with horses? God is saying, hey, this isn't going to get any easier, so you have to get stronger. How's that? This isn't going to, if you're running now, if you think this is tough, if you're running with footmen and they're wiping you out, they're kind of cleaning up with you, how, do you, how are you going to compete against horses? Uh, the, uh, the assumption there is that God thinks we can compete against horses. We've we got to get stronger. It is not going to get easier, so we need to be stronger. If you're not strong enough, listen, exercise. These are bold and profound things, aren't they? So glad I can teach you things that are so like deep. If you're if you're not strong, exercise. You need to read the Word of God. Learn, teach. Let it teach you. Learn about what it says, so you can stand strong. When someone asks you a question, you can give them an answer. Pray, pray that God would give you boldness and even more strength. Get involved in some area of ministry where you can use your gifts and abilities. Yeah, I teach you and you apply. I teach and you apply. And you become stronger. That's what God is telling us to do. We need to become stronger. 1 Timothy 4, 7 tells us, Discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness. The word he uses here for discipline is the Greek word. It's G-U-M-N-A-D-Z-O. Gamnadzo. 
Gymnazo. And we get the English word gymnasium from that. That's where we get the word gymnasium. So that's what he's using. The word gymnasium. What happens in a gymnasium? What do you do in a gymnasium? You exercise, right? You exercise and you become stronger. You become more powerful. You become faster. You exercise. That's what happens. You prepare yourself. You're going to go into the Olympics. You get into the gym and you prepare and you exercise and you prepare to win the race. God is saying it's not going to get any easier. You're running with footmen now. You're going to be running against horses in the future. You better get ready. You better get ready. And I'll tell you something else as an encouragement to you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I have the Holy Spirit of God, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. You don't need to back off. You don't need to whimper. You don't need to hide. You need to stand up for what Jesus says is right. Third, stand strong. If we're going to stand strong, we need to remember the rewards. We need to focus on the rewards. The end result of discipline uh, and exercise is that you get a reward. You're rewarded. You're stronger. If I exercise, I'm going to become stronger. Pastor Kevin is doing this push-up thing. And, uh, and, he, and I, I was doing all these push-ups over the vacation. And I got up to 85 push-ups in a row. And I came home. And I was telling him about it and everything. And he said, yeah, I'm on a, a series of push-ups I do. I, I started with like 25 and then it was 26. Every day it goes up. And he's trying to do 100, 100, uh, 10 sets of 100, 1,000 a day is his goal. He wants to get 10 sets of 100. It can be done. If you do one more each day, just one more each day, 77 this day, 78 the next day, 10 sets of, not just 77, and you get up to 1,000. That's his goal. If you exercise, there's a reward that comes along with exercising. You can lose weight. You're going to get stronger, whatever the case may be. But we have to focus on the reward. Why would you go through all the struggle if at the end there was no reward? There's, there's nothing to achieve. There's no payoff at the end. Jesus says there's two payoffs here. There's two rewards. In verse 10, Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, he says, Theirs is the kingdom of God. Theirs is the kingdom of God. And in verse 12, he says, Great is your reward in heaven. Charles Spurgeon once said this, There is no reward from God to those who seek it from men. He's right on. He is right on here. He's right on. We have a choice to live in this world in a temporary whatever this world has to offer or to discipline ourselves to put off a little bit that personal gratification now to receive what God has for us for us now. His promises now and in eternity. You are promised things now. My life is better as a follower of Jesus Christ. God has done things in my life that are absolutely amazing. He's changed me in dramatic ways. I have been transformed from a person who was afraid to get up and talk in front of three people, let alone everybody else. My greatest fear in life was public speaking. It wasn't just afraid. I was, I was paralyzed by it. How does someone who's 18 years old and is completely paralyzed by public speaking now, no problem, as you can see, <laughs> doesn't bug me anymore. I don't really even get butterflies anymore. I, I just, it's, just, it's just what God has done in my life. He helped me become the person I was created to be. Satan kept me in one place for 18 years, and then God shook that loose and said, no, I'm going to fill you with the Spirit. I'm going to show you who you truly are. 
There are rewards on earth, but it always comes back to that eternal perspective, doesn't it? That ultimately is an eternal perspective. Regardless of what happens on this earth, we have eternity. We have, and there's a reward beyond your wildest imagination if you stand and hold on to and put on Christ. It always comes back to that eternal perspective. Last here, fourth. If you want to stand strong, you've got to walk the path. Hold off on the video. You have to walk the path of the men and women, the great men and women who came before you. Walk the path of the great men and women who came before you. Jesus said, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are not alone. I am not alone. This is not something that you and I are going through in the 21st century in 2012 that the ones before us didn't go through. And every generation, every generation of believers, Old and New Testament from the very beginning were persecuted for standing up for God. If you stand up for God in any generation, the end result, is that you are going to be persecuted, period. And the ones who went before you can show you the way. My friends, we need to study the heroes that went before us. We need to study the biblical heroes that have gone before us. You know, if you want to be strong, listen, if you want to be strong, you need to exercise with the strong. If you want to get stronger, exercise with someone who's stronger than you are, who's going to push you. You know in the gym, one more, just one more. You can get one more, right? Remember when you were younger, that one more thing? Now you're like, just get it off me. Um, But when you were younger, it's like, yeah, I got one more, you know? You got one more. If you want to get stronger, exercise with someone who's stronger. If you want to get faster, work out with someone who's faster. If you want to be wiser, then walk with someone who is wise. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20 says this. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. You want to be wise? You walk with the wise. You want to get stronger spiritually? You get around people in your life groups. You join a life group. You get more involved in the youth ministry. You get involved in some area where you can be connected with other believers and they can strengthen you. Iron sharpens iron as one man or woman sharpens another. We need to be around people who can support us and encourage us and help us become stronger. We need to put on, clothe ourselves with Jesus Christ every single day and never take him off. Not at home, not at school, not at work, not on the field, not when we go to the movies, not when we listen to our music, not when we watch TV, not when we're on a date. We never take him off. Never. He goes with you wherever you go. He is with you wherever you go. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer up your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you say, what is God's will for my life? Then you'll be able to attest what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You want to know what God's will is for your life? Offer up your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is our spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but listen, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. My friends, we are being completely and utterly brainwashed. We're being brainwashed. And God is saying, renew your mind. 
Renew your mind. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. God, I know this is a challenging, challenging time for all of us, but I pray, dear God, I pray, dear God, with all of my heart as my hand is raised over this congregation that you would strengthen them, help them to stand up for what's right at work, what's right at school, what's right at home. Help them to stand up for you, dear God, when they face the trials and tribulations of life. Help them to stand up for you when they're asked to do something, whether it's at work or at school, they know isn't right. Give them the strength and the boldness to stand for you, to walk as you do. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great, great week.